Good morning, and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's online worship service. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. We are dedicated to living in right relationship with ourselves, our community, and our planet. We welcome you this morning and are so very glad you're here. Let us know where you're joining us from in the comments if you have access to the comments. We believe here that there's a spark of the divine within each one of us. And when we greet one another, we imagine that the spark within ourselves is greeting the spark within the other person. So, in that spirit, I invite you to greet one another in the comments section. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Ron Carlson is the pen name of an American poet and short story writer. This is from a piece titled, I Survived You, A Letter to My Mother. My friends have been parents to me, siblings, and even children to me in a way. They have been all the pieces of me that were missing, denied, painful to experience or hope for, but not yet seen through. We love each other because we recognize that we each need it. There is no deserve, only an honoring of humanity within each other. We have fulfilled one another's needs and hopes. We have shown up for each other, journeyed together, been through heartache and grief and joy and love and peace and loss and fear together. There is no need for common blood between us, nor should there be. Blood is not a cement that binds people together. My family is bound inextricably through the finest threads that, when brought together, make the strongest ties. My family chose me as much as I chose them, and I never had to earn it, fear it, or hide myself from it. They are welcome at my table. Their love fills the scattered dishes, and we are filled by them. This congregation wrote a mission for itself that guides us as we make decisions and move into the future together. This mission is vitally important to this congregation, so much so that we wrote it on the wall of the sanctuary where we cannot forget it. Each Sunday we say it together. I invite you now to join me in affirming our mission. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. If you would like to know more about what we mean by beloved community, please visit www.thekingcenter.org that's O-R-G and read about what Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision said of what his idea 
of beloved community could and should be. After our mission statement, we have a moment for beloved community where we explore what that means to us. This congregation has set a set of ends for itself that speak of our ultimate goals. The sixth end is our commitment to breaking down systems of oppression wherever we find them. Our board of trustees will be hosting a series of conversations on the beloved community starting today. There will be two options each week. The first is a breakout room during the coffee hour on First UU's Zoom page. The second will be on a separate night of the week to allow for maximum participation. You're encouraged to join in each of, uh, each of the conversations each week. Sign-up information can be found in the Friday email. And I invite you to join in these conversations that promise to be deep, meaningful, and perhaps a little fun. And now I invite you, as we hear a word from Margaret Borden, on what beloved community means to her. Good morning. I came to the University of Texas as a freshman in the fall of 1965, just one month after the signing of the Voting Rights Act and one year after the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Although many hearts and minds were not one, I, along with most progressives, thought the work of anti-racism was essentially over. How wrong we were. I have long known that racial prejudice still existed, but saw it only as individual acts. I have known that many black children are not succeeding in school, and many black adults are not earning a living wage. Yet it is only in the last few years that I have begun to understand what black people in this country know and live every day. Racism is embedded in our country in ways that laws do not touch. It permeates our culture. It is in our policies which determine how laws are interpreted. It is in our institutions, our banks, our businesses, our schools, our neighborhoods. It patrols our streets. Those who benefit think it normal, but it is not normal. Why do I want to participate in conversations about beloved community? Because I want your help seeing what I was reared not to see, what I was taught to ignore. In conversation with you as fellow travelers for justice, we can learn from the varying experiences and thoughts of each other and together discover ways to act to overcome white supremacy and move toward a beloved community. Will you please join me to discover where each of us finds racism most surprising? And what can be done to make certain we are not still asking this question in 50 years? Thank you. Good morning. Did you ever have something really special, so special that you didn't really want to share it with anyone else? Maybe it was a special toy or some special food like a treat. And someone said, hey, can I have some of that? Or can I play with that? And you thought... I don't know, this is my special thing. I don't know if I want to share it. And so maybe you said, no, this is my special thing. It's just for me. Or maybe you said, okay, I can share with you. I wonder what that felt like. 
Let's read a story about what it's like to make something really special just for yourself, and then to share it anyway. This is my special view of the clouds and the lake down there. I wanted to share it with you before we read. Thank you, Amu, by Oge Mora. On the corner of First Street and Long Street, on the very top floor, Amu was cooking a thick red stew in a big fat pot for a nice evening meal. She seasoned and stirred it and took a small taste. What a delicious stew, Amu said. Tonight's dinner will surely be the best I have ever had. With that, Amu put down her spoon and went to read a book before supper. As the thick red stew simmered on the stove, its scrumptious scent wafted out the window and out the door, down the hall, toward the street and around the block until... Knock! Someone was at the door. When Amu opened it, she saw... A little boy. Little boy! Amu exclaimed. What brings you to my home? I I was playing with my race car down the hall when I smelled the most delicious smell. The little boy replied, What is it? Thick red stew. Mmm, stew, he sighed. <sighs> that sure sounds yummy. Amu thought for a moment. She was saving her stew for dinner, but she had made quite a bit. It would not hurt to share. Would you like some? The little boy nodded. And so Amu spooned out some thick red stew from the big fat pot for her nice evening meal. Thank you, Amu, the little boy said, and went on his way. With that, Amu closed the door and went back to her book. As she read, her thick red stew the window and out the door, down the hall, toward the street, and around the block until... Knock, knock. Someone was at the door. When Amu opened the door, this time she saw a police Amu exclaimed, My home? Uh, I was on duty street when I smelled the delicious smell. What is it? Thick red stew. Ah, stew, she said, and her mouth watered. That sounds mighty tasty. There was still enough to share. Would you like some? The police officer nodded. Once again, Amu spooned out some thick red stew from the big fat pot for her nice evening meal. Thank you, Amu, the officer said, and went on her way. And so for the second time, Amu closed the door and went back to her book. Sure enough, as she read, her thick red out the window and out the door, down the hall, toward the street and around the block until... Knock, knock, knock. Again, someone was at Amu's door. This time when she opened it, a hot dog vendor. Mr. Hot Dog Vendor, Amu exclaimed, what brings you to my home? I was selling my hot dog the most delicious smell, Mr. Hot Dog Vendor replied. What is it? Thick red stew. Ooh, stew. That's delectable. Amu spooned out some thick red stew from the fat pot for her nice evening meal. Thank you, Amu. Throughout the day, people from all across the neighborhood knocked on Amu's door. She fed a shop owner, a cab driver, a doctor, an actor, a lawyer, a dancer, a driver, a construction worker. Even the mayor stopped by. And each time they knocked, Amu shared. Soon the sky darkened, the streetlights brightened, and it was finally time for dinner.
But when Amu opened her big fat pot of thick red stew for her nice evening meal, it was empty. Amu sniffled. There goes the best dinner I ever had. Sorry and blue, she sat at the table with her empty pot until... Knock, knock. Knock, knock, knock. Who could that be? Amu wondered. When she opened her door, she saw the little boy, the police officer, the hot dog vendor, the shop owner, the cab driver, the doctor, the actor, the lawyer, the dancer, the baker. Why, everyone she fed today was at her door. I'm sorry, everyone, Amu sighed. My thick red stew is all gone. I have nothing left to share. The little boy tugged at Amu's sleeve. Don't worry, Amu. We are not here to ask. We are here to give. The police officer carried in a fresh salad. The mayor entered with a roast chicken. The baker brought a collection of sweet goodies. Even the little boy presented Amu with something special in a shiny red envelope. Everyone who had knocked on Amu's door that day squeezed inside her tiny apartment, and together they ate, danced, and celebrated. While Amu's big fat pot of thick red stew was empty, her heart was full of happiness and love. That dinner was the best she had ever had. Starhawk is a white American teacher and author, the founder of the Reclaiming Community, a Wiccan community. She writes this. We are all longing to go home to some place we've never been. A place half remembered and half envisioned we can only catch glimpses of from time to time. Community. Somewhere there are people to whom we can speak with passion without having the words catch in our throats. Somewhere a circle of hands will open to receive us. Eyes will light up as we enter. Voices will celebrate with us whenever we come into our own power. Community means strength that joins with our strength to do the work that needs to be done. Arms to hold us when we falter. A circle of healing, a circle of friends, someplace where we can be free. A forebear of our faith, Ralph Waldo Emerson, spoke of the wise silence, a meditative time, a space within ourselves. Let us use this time to call that silence into us as we are able where we each are right now. I ask you to breathe with me, to allow your mind to let go of worry, fear, of tasks and work. For just this moment, remind yourself that they are thoughts and no more. Allow them to slip away into the quiet. Let us breathe together.
as we continue in a spirit of meditation and prayer, I invite you to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, remembrance, or determination. My favorite Christian text in the Bible is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, more or less. So these verses, they say, If I could speak any and every language of humanity and beyond, but there is no love within me, then anything I would say is nothing but noise, 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 the clanging of cymbals, the bashing of drums is how the Bible explains it. I can give away everything I own, sell it, give it to the poor, give all of my food to the hungry, my clothing to the naked. I could give up my very life for that of someone else. But if I do it with no love, if that place is not found within me, then it means nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It has no jealousy. It is not arrogant. It has no ego. And it does not inflate itself. Love is not shameful. It is not selfish. It is not rude. Love does not demand that it gets its own way. It does not lash out. And it is absolutely not unapproachable. Love doesn't celebrate cruelty. It doesn't celebrate injustice or pain 
or heartache, but only rejoices in true equity, in mercy, in goodness, humanity, and truth. Every mystical gift, every power under the stars, within this vast universe, every insight and fact and piece of wisdom that has ever been or ever will be, will someday end. But love will endure far beyond. Songs will fade. Stories will cease. And every good deed ever done will fall. Even when all I am and all I have ever known is lost to history forever, three things will remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the most important, the most powerful, the most enduring, the greatest of these is love. A friend of mine put a post out that asked a sillyish, quick question. One of those, just give me the first word off your head, just to kind of engage the community that he had built up there. He asked, if you knew your next meal was your last, what would you eat? I was in one of those moods where I chose to sit with the question and really consider it. I chewed on it until it had no flavor left, and then I stuck it behind my ear for later. I wanted to think about the impact a last meal could make. I'm pretty sure no one ever meant for those quick little questions to be anywhere remotely close to philosophical or theological. There I was, waxing toward the poetic and the philosophical and the theological, and I'm sure my friend was just absolutely thrilled to bits. So, a feast of love. Taking in this never-ending source of power and goodness always leaves me both open to more love and also completely filled by it, so much that my own then pours out from me and into all the ones around me. I cannot imagine a more generous gift we can give to one another than that. I wrote about my illness in my early 20s that on good days, I enjoyed things like chicken with lemon and garlic or chili or brisket, Brussels sprouts, pumpkin, asparagus, beans, salads made from celery greens and fresh cucumbers. The food had very little to do with what was nourishing me, what was keeping me full and energetic enough to stick with it and not just want to give up. In those times, uh, with my little extended families, and I had several, as I drifted in and out of consciousness or had to excuse myself, after a while, everybody kind of learned to just leave me be and then pick up once I was back with them. Like nothing stopped. It became familiar. They knew what to watch for, to check on me. They were patient. They were kind. They were not selfish. 
they did not want their own way. They were, in my life, the embodiment of love. Uncomfortable and fearsome as those parts of my life were, they did teach me something. I don't care what's on my plate in the end. I don't care. And yet, I do. I do care. What is served at the table for my feast of love matters the most of anything I will ever have. So far in this life, I've learned to appreciate so much that has crossed my spiritual and physical plate. Things that had always brought comfort or, as I would learn, would bring it. But it was more where it came from and what came alongside it that fed me. At my last meal, I would make sure I was completely surrounded by the people who filled my heart so much more than I have ever needed to fill my belly. My feast took a long time in my life to be recognized and to share. And there have been times where I stepped away from the table because I couldn't handle what was being served. But that meal comes from living a life full to the brim with the sweetest treats anyone could ever taste. The people I gathered to me, the communities I'm a part of, the family that I have created for myself. They would be my honored guests, and they would be the last thing I would ever need in this lifetime. Find your feast, my beloved, beloved community. Find your feast. If it's here in this community, good. Find it. Enjoy it and share it. If it's in some other group of souls, good. Find it. Enjoy it and share it. Wherever your table is set, wherever you find yourself seated, wherever that dinner bell is rung, go. Go to it. Celebrate it as much as you can. With as many people as you can. As fully and richly and deeply as you can. That table is set for you. And it is yours to take in all that has been poured out there. Fill your cup to the brim. Let it overflow with the goodness, the peace, the comfort and contentment, the hope, and the communal sharing of all that is good and all that isn't as good in this life. Joy and sorrow do exist together. But they are better shared. If there comes a time, and I hope, I truly hope there is, that you find your table is so full you cannot contain what is on it. 
Don't close anyone out. Don't build higher walls. Build a longer table. More seats, more people, more love. Let it flow. Celebrate your feast of love. Let it be the food that carries you through when you feel so hungry for something more. Let it be what fuels you through this life. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I invite you to join me in a song, just a few lines, if you are willing and able. I hope it's familiar. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. Again. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. Go in peace. And go find your feast. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.